Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Christmas is a feeling filling the air. It's love and joy and laughter of people everywhere. Christmas is a feeling bringing good cheer. It reaches out to touch you as the holiday draws near. It's mistletoe and falling snow and candles burning bright. It's a baby in a manger on a cold winter's night. It's glad noels and chiming bells and presents by the tree. It's the spirit of giving in you and in me. For Christmas is a feeling filling the air. It's love and joy and laughter of people everywhere. But if Christmas is a feeling bringing such good cheer, then why, oh why, don't you and I try to make it last all year? Why can't it last all year? I have just read for you one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs, Christmas is a Feeling by Natalie Sleeth. Christmas is a feeling that does bring out good cheer in many people, probably more so than any other time of year. As Christmas draws nearer every day, I was thinking about gifts we can give and receive, and not just at Christmas time, but all through the year. One special gift I have been thinking about is the gift of forgiveness. We have just commemorated the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, so I decided I would share with you a couple of true stories that came out of World War II. Both stories have forgiveness as a central theme. The first story I will share with you is from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. This story is about the Japanese commander in charge of the air attack on Pearl Harbor. Here is his story. December 3, 1902, marked the birth in Nagio, Japan, of Mitsuo Fukuda. His story, told in his own words, reveals the mark he left on history and the mark God left on him. And here are his words. I must admit I was more excited than usual as I awoke that morning at 3 a.m. Hawaii time. As general commander of the Air Squadron, I made last-minute checks on the intelligence information reports in the operations room before going to warm up my single-engine three-seater plane. The sunrise in the east was magnificent above the white clouds as I led 360 planes toward Hawaii. I knew my objective, to surprise and cripple the American naval force in the Pacific. Like a hurricane out of nowhere, my torpedo planes, dive bombers, and fighters struck suddenly with indescribable fury. It was the most thrilling exploit of my career. With the end of the war, my military career was over. I became more and more unhappy, especially when the war crime trials opened in Tokyo. Though I was never accused, General Douglas MacArthur summoned me to testify on several occasions. As I got off the train one day in Tokyo's Shibuya station, I saw an American distributing literature. He handed me a pamphlet entitled, I Was a Prisoner of Japan. What I read eventually changed my life. On that Sunday, while I was in the air over Pearl Harbor, an American soldier named Jacob DeShazer had been on KP duty in an army camp in California. When the radio announced the sneak demolishing of Pearl Harbor, he shouted, Jap, just wait and see what we'll do to you. One month later, he volunteered for a secret mission with the Jimmy Doolittle Squadron, a surprise raid on Tokyo. 
After the bombing raid, they flew on towards China, but ran out of fuel and were forced to parachute into Japanese-held territory. During the next 40 long months in confinement, the Shazer was cruelly treated, but after 25 months, the U.S. prisoners were given a Bible to read. There, in a Japanese POW camp, he read and read, and eventually came to understand that the book was more than a historical classic. After DeShazer was released, he returned to Japan as a missionary and in God's providence gave Fukaida the tract he had written. Fukaida continues in his own words, The peaceful motivation I had read about was exactly what I was seeking. Since the American had found it in the Bible, I decided to purchase one myself, despite my traditional Buddhist heritage. In the ensuing weeks, I read this book eagerly. I came to the climactic drama, The Crucifixion, I read in Luke 23:34 the prayer of Jesus Christ at his death, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I was impressed that I was certainly one of those for whom he had prayed. The many men I had killed had been slaughtered in the name of patriotism, but I did not understand the love that Christ wishes to implant within every heart. Right at that moment, I seemed to meet Jesus for the first time. I understood the meaning of his death as a substitute for my wickedness, and so in prayer, I requested him to forgive my sins and change me from a bitter, disillusioned ex-pilot into a well-balanced Christian with purpose in living. I believe with all my heart that those who will direct Japan and all other nations in the decades to come must not ignore the message of Christ. He is the only hope for this troubled world. And in the reflection on this day, December 3rd, that I'm reading from in this one-year Christian history book, Mitsuo Fukaida came to know God personally through reading and studying the Bible. God's message to humanity is the Bible. Do you regularly read and study the Bible? It has the power to change your life just as dramatically as it did this Japanese commander. And the verse given here is from Psalm 119.37. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. As this former Japanese commander came to understand that Jesus loved him, he prayed that Christ would forgive his sins, and he received the gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers to all who ask him. The second story I want to share with you this morning is about a woman whose name will be familiar to many of you. She was a Dutch citizen, and she and her family hid Jews in their home until they were found out and sent to concentration camps. Her name is Corrie Tim Boom. She wrote a book entitled The Hiding Place, which was later made into a movie. The story I'm going to read first appeared in Guidepost magazine over 40 years ago. In this story, Corrie recalls forgiving a guard at the concentration camp where her sister Betsy died. Here is her story. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. 
The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, and the next I visualized the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. 
I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way, for every time I go to Him, He teaches me something else. I recall the time some 15 years ago when some Christian friends whom I loved and trusted did something which hurt me. You would have thought that, having forgiven the Nazi guard, this would have been child's play. It wasn't. For weeks I seethed inside, but at last I asked God again to work His miracle in me, and again it happened. First, the cold-blooded decision, then the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends. I was restored to my father. Then, why was I suddenly awake in the middle of the night, hashing over the whole affair again? My friends, I thought. People I loved? If it had been strangers, I wouldn't have minded so. I sat up and switched on the light. Father, I thought it was all forgiven. Please help me do it. But the next night, I woke up again. They had talked so sweetly, too, never a hint of what they were planning. Father, I cried in alarm, help me. His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor to whom I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks. Up in that church tower, he said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging, first ding, then dong, slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversation, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often and at last stopped altogether. And so I discovered another secret of forgiveness, that we can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. And still he had more to teach me, even in this single episode, because many years later, in 1970, an American with whom I had shared the ding-dong principle came to visit me in Holland and met the people involved. Aren't those the friends who let you down? He asked as they left my apartment. Yes, I said a little smugly. You can see it's all forgiven. By you, yes, he said, but what about them? Have they accepted your forgiveness? They say there's nothing to forgive. They deny it ever happened, but I can prove it. I went eagerly to my desk. I have it in black and white. I saved all their letters, and I can show you where. Corey, my friend, slipped his arm through mine and gently closed the drawer. Aren't you the one whose sins are at the bottom of the sea? And are the sins of your friends etched in black and white? For an anguishing moment, I could not find my voice. Lord Jesus, I whispered at last, who takes all my sins away, forgive me for preserving all these years the evidence against others. 
Give me grace to burn all the blacks and whites as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to your glory. I did not go to sleep that night until I had gone through my desk and pulled out those letters, curling now with age, and fed them all into my little coal-burning grate. As the flames leaped and glowed, so did my heart. Forgive us our trespasses, Jesus taught us to pray, as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the ashes of those letters, I was seeing yet another facet of His mercy. What more He would teach me about forgiveness in the days ahead, I didn't know. But tonight's was good news enough. When we bring our sins to Jesus, He not only forgives them, He makes them as if they had never been. This story from the life of Corey Ten Boom is an amazing example of forgiveness. But she did not do it in her own strength. It took God helping her, and it was His power that actually gave her the ability to utter the words of forgiveness to a man who had been incredibly cruel and heartless to her as a prisoner in the concentration camp. I've thought a lot about forgiveness and how when you forgive someone, it is a gift to them. But the more I think about it, I believe the greater gift might be for the person who does the forgiving. It is a gift you give yourself when you forgive someone because it frees up the part of your mind and heart where you have been holding on to feelings of anger and hurt or resentment or pain or bitterness. And when those feelings are gone, you have room for more love and joy and peace in your life. Do you want to give Jesus a gift this Christmas? Do you want to give yourself a gift this Christmas? Do you want more room in your heart for love and joy and peace? Is there someone you need to forgive? In closing, I want to share with you a question posed to Reverend Billy Graham many years ago that he answered in a daily newspaper column. The person who wrote in thought the bad things he had done would keep God from forgiving him. I am now going to read you the question and Billy Graham's answer. And I will say that you don't really know if this was a man or a woman writing this in, but here's the question. When I was younger, I did some pretty bad things, and the older I get, the more guilty I feel over them. I want to ask God for forgiveness, but I haven't yet because I honestly don't believe He'll forgive me. Why should He? I can't even forgive myself. And here is Billy Graham's answer. God is willing to forgive you because He loves you. If He despised you because of what you've done, you wouldn't have any reason to expect Him to forgive you. But He loves you. This doesn't mean God overlooks our sins or pretends they never happened. Sin is so serious that it separates us from God and brings us under His judgment. But God doesn't want us to be separated from Him forever. And that is why Jesus Christ came into the world. Don't carry your burden of guilt any longer, but confess your sins to God and open your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Receive His free gift of forgiveness. I don't know if you think you have done things in your life and you are thinking the same thing this person did that God could never forgive you, but He can. Jesus forgave those people who killed Him, and He never did anything wrong. The only real hope we have for today is our faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, I can well imagine you are scared of dying, and you are a bitter and miserable person. But you can change that today, right now. And you are the only one who can. All you have to do is to call out to God asking Him to forgive your sins and accept His free gift of salvation that He gives to anyone who trusts in His Son, Jesus Christ. 
you are not going to get out of this world alive. A hundred percent of us will die. You cannot save yourself. However, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will be on their way to heaven when they die. Where will you be going? I hope we will meet in heaven, if not before. I will leave you with a couple of verses today. The first one is from Psalm 131.3. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And from John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for listening. to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 